And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Robert Malone. And Dr. Malone, we've had you on before, and you're a, you're a distant friend. I've never met you in person, but thank you for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. And I feel like I know you, uh, or at least I know you in the context of your recording booth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because uh, when we do these Skype uh, broadcasts, uh, we also include a video uh, component so that we can uh, see each other's expressions. It's true. And I'm not set up here at all for video production. So you get to hear hear me, but see the side of my face. So it's kind of a funny arrangement. And I, I hope that uh, you don't mind that. Hey, let's talk about something. I, I've been hearing a little bit about uh, the vaccination and how that it's being, I don't know, adulterated or something like that. Can you explain what's going on there? So first off, for everybody in the audience, what is this word adulteration? And it's actually a legal term that is in, used in the original uh, law, federal law, called the Code of Federal Regulations, that empowers the FDA, which, remember, is for food and drugs. And what adulteration is, is basically contamination that is not otherwise disclosed. Hmm. So the way the rules are, and this could be for food or for drugs, this whole legislation started in the context, you'll recall, of the uh, Chicago meatpacking industry disclosures about how uh, we the public was receiving contaminated food, contaminated with feces from rodents and other things. Mm. And uh, the way the law is written, if, if there is contamination of a food or drug, uh, that is technically called adulteration. If that contamination exceeds allowed specifications, in other words, there, there actually are specs for how much rat poop can be in a food material uh, in analogous things. I just use that as one crude sure. example uh, for contamination in drugs, for example. And if it exceeds those levels and the uh, package does not disclose, in other words, if the consumer is not aware of this contamination and the contamination exceeds the levels that the FDA establishes, then we meet the criteria for adulteration, which is one of the specific things that the FDA was created to prevent. Hmm. And if that happens, so that's federal law, if you meet those criteria, then uh, there are guidelines that have been established by the FDA for what happens next. And this includes reporting of that adulteration to a branch of the FDA that's separate from the review branch that has authorized these products. So CBER or CDER, Center for Biologics Evaluation or Drugs Evaluation Research. Um, and if that entity, that separate branch of the FDA, which is kind of like an ombudsman, determines that the adulteration is true and real, then they issue a uh, requirement that the sponsor or manufacturer place a hold on the product, and then if they if that manufacturer does not withdraw the contaminated product from the market, then it is to be seized hmm. and withdrawn forcefully. 
Okay, so those are the rules. And I, I, in one of my substacks, I've cited all these regulations so people can see the receipts and uh, see the text that is to be submitted with the evidence. Uh, and, and I'm assured by various, uh, let's say, health leaders mm-hmm. that they are now formally querying the FDA in that same way. And what I conclude from all of this is that, in my opinion, adulteration has been met. The uh, populace, the users, the physicians had no idea. And it appears that even some of the international regulatory agencies had no idea that there's this level of DNA fragment contamination in the RNA vaccine products, uh, let alone the contamination with short fragments derived from simian virus 40 that are highly active as regulatory switches. And uh, so they don't appear to have been aware of this. It certainly has not been disclosed to the public. So based on my assessment, we do meet all the criteria of adulteration. And I, I recommended that these products should be withdrawn, as did others. Uh, and others uh, raised the point that this may meet the criteria for fraud because this wasn't disclosed. And if fraud, then it pierces the veil of the legal indemnification or liability protection that is provided to the likes of Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna, so they could potentially be sued for this. Mm. And uh, if if they have, in fact, committed fraud by not disclosing this information to the regulatory agencies. That triggered uh, journalists doing deep dives and writing uh, letters querying FDA, Health Canada, and European Medicines Agency, specifically Mary Beth Pfeiffer of Trial Site News and Zach Stiber of Epic Times. And surprisingly, they got very rapid responses back from these three regulatory agencies. Mm. And in particular, in the case of the FDA, they received uh, very generic, non-specific responses that asserted that These vaccines are safe and effective. Over a billion doses have been administered, and we have no safety concerns. But they don't define in any way what what is safe and effective. They don't define whether or not they actually, and it appears nobody actually did the research to show that this level of contamination with these DNA fragments and these highly active delivery systems don't don't pose a threat to the genome of those that have received it. And why does this matter? Well, DNA integration is a known way of triggering cancers, particularly if they have highly active regulatory switch elements. Furthermore, we know that these uh, very potent uh, polynucleotide or genetic delivery systems that are being used for the RNA vaccines are nonspecific. They will deliver DNA fragments or RNA. And we also know that they have a predilection for ovarian tissue and they cross the placenta. Mm. So if you have DNA integration into the cells of, that make up your body, that's one thing, and that's a cancer risk. If you have DNA integration into cells that are in what's called the germline, in other words, the embryo or the egg, 
uh, reproductive cells, then that is heritable. It will be passed to future generations or it will cause birth defects or spontaneous abortion. So that's why this matters. And what I did in a second substack in which I speak about adulteration and why it matters here is that I, I went through all the prior uh, um, work concerning DNA vaccine testing to make sure that the levels of DNA contamination are uh, below the of DNA fragment contamination are below uh, a safe threshold and which is a step which established what is a safe threshold of dosing plasmid DNA using older delivery systems and this was done very meticulously by the FDA previously but in this case they appear to have done nothing hmm. uh, totally waived their prior processes in this effort to jam these products through the regulatory pathway so it appears there are no data upon which the FDA is making this determination that these are safe levels of DNA fragment contamination. So uh, um, until we hear otherwise, that appears to be the case, is they have no data upon which to base their claims that these levels of DNA fragment contamination in the context of this delivery system are safe for patients. In the absence of any data, the usual position that's taken by regulatory authorities is much more proactive. If you don't have the data to prove that there's no risk here, then the assumption is that there is risk. Mm -hmm. Could this contamination get in there accidentally, or would it be intentional? So here's how this came about. Uh, during the clinical trials, they used one process to manufacture DNA. It was a polymerase chain reaction based to produce the DNA that's used to make the RNA. Remember, DNA makes RNA and RNA makes protein. Uh, and it turned out that that process was not sufficiently efficient. In other words, they couldn't make enough RNA using the old PCR process mm that was in manufacturing process number one. And so in uh, very short order, they created a new manufacturing process, which was essentially a replication of what I did back in the late 1980s, in which they used circular DNA produced by plasmids, uh, by bacteria. So circular DNA plasmids produced by bacteria as the source of the DNA to make the RNA. And then you have to get rid of that contaminating DNA. So you break it down with enzymes and then purify the small broken down fragments away from the big RNA. Uh, that does not appear to have been well developed as a process. Hmm. And so you ended up with very large amounts of, to my eye and that of many others, very large amounts of contaminating short DNA fragments which are actually a bigger risk than if they had left the whole plasma DNA in there. Uh, so uh, these short DNA fragments are highly active for uh, genotoxicity or insertional mutagenesis. This has long been known, and I documented it 
in from old literature, peer-reviewed literature. So what it appears is that this was a rushed switch in manufacturing process, and they didn't take the time to improve the process so that they would drop these fragments down below an acceptable threshold. And furthermore, FDA didn't force them to do the work to demonstrate what would be a safe threshold for contamination because this was all being jammed through the process on short order under the thesis that we were going to have 3.4% mortality case fatality rate. And so it was a national crisis. And so throwing the rule book in the trash can made sense, according to FDA thinking. Mm -hmm. That seems to be what happened. Hmm. Where did that model ever come from of of this 3.4% that you just mentioned? So, fascinatingly, it tracks back. It is exactly the number that was used in Event 201 predictions, strangely enough. Oh, tell us and more then, about that. <laughs> uh, so, Event 201 was the war game planning that was held in the fall of 2019, about the time when... Uh, the insiders in the public health community, such as Fauci, became aware that there had been an escape somehow, a release in Wuhan or thereabouts right. of this engineered virus that they had played a role in funding the engineering of. And uh, so there was this uh, Bill and Melinda Gates-funded, mm -hmm. CIA-backed uh, war game planning scenario that was done at Hopkins University in a known CIA shop and uh, I think Center for Global Biosecurity or something to those that effect. Mm -hmm. And what came out of that was a series of plans that were very authoritarian, very heavy-handed. Uh, and those were the plans that were then deployed across the world, particularly in the uh, Five Eyes Alliance nations of Great Britain, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and the United States. So uh, this is the basis for the the term plandemic as oh. opposed to pandemic, right, was this event 201. And then in that, they used as one of their assumptions that there was a highly uh, pathogenic coronavirus that was released into the population that had a 3.4% mortality rate. Mm. Then early on in the outbreak, modeling from Imperial College in London uh, was used to justify that we were having a 3.4% case fatality rate. Before that modeling came out, uh, Mr. Trump had been saying that we were having well less than 1% case fatality rate. Mm -hmm. Now, what's fascinating about all of this when you unpack it is that the WHO and USHHS took that 3.4% number to be a uh, fact, mm. even though it's based on modeling. And here's the nuance. China used very different uh, um, characteristics uh, to define what was a death from covid they were highly restrictive. In other words, you had to check a whole bunch of boxes on a checklist in order to be counted as a death from COVID. Whereas in the West, we used a very open-ended description of basically uh, anybody who died who happened to be 
characterized as having a positive PCR signal. Remember that yeah. PCR uh, can pick up nucleic acid from an infection a month ago, uh, and it has a very high false positive rate the way it was used. But this is what gives rise to the number of a million dead in the USA from COVID hmm. is that we had the combination of this very promiscuous definition together with financial incentives for hospitals to declare people as a death from COVID. They would get yes. a bonus. Yes. Okay? And so we end up with these one of the highest rates per capita of COVID deaths in the world. Uh, and the Chinese have one of the lowest. And so the WHO and the U.S. Uh, elite that made all these key decisions, including members of the intelligence community, uh, saw these Chinese numbers, and they concluded that the Chinese totalitarian restrictions, the lockdowns, the mask requirements, etc., were working. Because, look, the Chinese have such a low death rate, and we have such a high death rate. <laughs> Um, and, and it all boils down to different definitions of what was a death from COVID. But the consequence was that the U.S. and the WHO concluded that what China was doing was working, even though that was completely contrary to all the guidance the WHO had put out previously, all the known uh, documented uh, information in epidemiology and public health that you shouldn't do these things. They don't work. They cause more damage than they cause good. But apparently the Chinese seem to be getting a good response. And so therefore we aped what the Chinese were doing. We yes. imported the Chinese model and it's all a fraud. It's yeah. based on these uh, fake bits of information, this fake modeling uh, the overestimate of deaths from COVID in the United States because of these incentives and the use of the uh, promiscuous PCR tests and the comparison to China, which made it so that it was very difficult to define anything as a death from COVID. Uh, and, and so that's how we got to this point. And then because of that, the FDA thought it was justified uh, and the CDC to jam these products through because we were facing such a huge national crisis. Imagine between three and four out of every hundred people, and now we know all of us have been infected. So basically that would have predicted that between three and four percent of everybody in the United States would be dead by now. Yeah. Clearly that was false. Yeah, it was. Uh, in fact, the data show that if you look at all-cause mortality or excess all-cause mortality, there was a small surge early in 2020, and then it went below the normal death rate. Uh, so on, on average, across until they started the vaccines, the excess all-cause mortality or deaths uh, in excess of baseline from the prior three years were at the same level. Then when they deployed the vaccines, suddenly we see this increase in all-cause mortality that is more than two standard deviations, which for the non-statisticians is a big deal. Uh, to, to have such a deviation from norms, it, it really alarmed the insurance industry because yeah. suddenly they're hemorrhaging cash. And uh, um, 
this this all aligns with the start of the vaccine campaign. That doesn't prove that it's the vaccines, but it's highly suggestive that the vaccines contributed in a significant way to this sudden surge in excess death. Hmm. And now we have the information that one of the contaminants in those RNA vaccine products was a, a large amount of the short DNA fragments, which we never knew about. Uh, FDA, EMA, and Health Canada basically act as if they didn't really know about it or considered it um, anything to to uh, look into. They didn't disclose it to any of us. And they seem to overlook the fact that these short DNA fragments will be captured in the same lipid nanoparticles and delivered to the same cells that the RNA is being delivered into. They, they, this seems to be willful ignorance at best. Wow. It's, um, it's troubling to hear somebody like you explain all this. Um, we got about four minutes left. Today we're talking with Dr. Robert Malone. And you're in deep with this stuff, Dr. Malone. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Um, in the last couple of minutes, I, you know, as I approached this conversation today, I didn't know where it was going to go exactly, but um, I think many listeners just have a frustration where we kind of feel like we've lost confidence in uh, the medical community or 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 the pharmaceutical business. I suppose the positive side is we're asking a lot more questions. We're we're much more careful now. Maybe we're reading labels or something. But um, I feel horrible that we've lost confidence in a highly esteemed, um, you know, doctors. Uh, and doctors, it's not that this was intentional. They were f- being fed certain narratives. Um, had I want to say, you know, We've got to make sure some of the people in charge uh, get voted out of office. And, and I know that some of these positions aren't even elected positions, but um, this is totally different than what you were talking about. I mean, I have no confidence ev- even in some of our voting systems that, that they're accurate. Um, have you heard any concerns about that? Of course. And overriding all of this is the deployment of these amazingly powerful propaganda and censorship tools. Yeah. And uh, Jim Jordan has recently published a report uh, from the House in their investigations that is documenting that whole ecosystem mm-hmm. that was originally built uh, ostensibly to maintain election integrity. Uh, prior to the past election, in which uh, now these documents show actively cooperated with the Stanford Internet Observatory uh, in the Atlantic Council, which is if there's a deep state, Atlantic Council would be their front door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, um, then uh, built documentation, which was fed to social media uh, to support censorship policies. So we had the federal government and CISA feeding leads into this ostensible public-private partnership that then would build the documentation uh, to target certain individuals and specifically target conservatives in the period running up to the election. And then uh, they transitioned that to the, using the same setup to censor information about these uh, vaccine products, to suppress any voices, including my own, 
hmm. that were raising concerns. And uh, so that's, uh, to your point about medical professionals, they also, just like the public, were subjected to a coordinated propaganda and psyops campaign uh, coupled with censorship. That's the feeling I get. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, two minutes remaining. Um, if someone wants to read more, Dr. Malone, uh, you have a substack, and et cetera. Could you tell them how to find you online so they, they can get informed? Well, thank you. So it's rwmalonemd.substack.com. And then the more lengthy documents to support uh, all of these things and allow people to discover for themselves can be found at maloneinstitute.org. So those two together. uh, And then, of course, on all social media platforms, pretty much Twitter uh, or X, Getter, Gab, social you can find me at rw malone md oh, that's beautiful well thank you very much and um um i i trust that the lord blesses your work going forward and i i know you travel around a lot and that he may be gracious to give you um safety and travel and and good health and say hi to your wife jill from redeemer broadcasting and thank you for joining us Thanks for having me on, and I hope you have a great day. You too. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.